0: Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Man, I am full to overflowing. I've been digging into this message for some time. And it literally feels like I've been trying to fill a sippy cup with a fire hose. <laughs> so we're just going to jump into this. I hope you brought like your steak knife and fork. I hope you, you came hungry. I hope you, you brought a bib. Like I got Greek. I got Hebrew. I got scripture references. I, I It's like the 12-course meal in here. It's uh, so, you know. I don't know, I'm going to go, we'll see, we'll see how far we get into it, you know, but I'm just going to let, let loose here. Um, I want to actually start it off with a story. I feel the anointing of Jeff Collins on me, so we're going to start <laughs> off with story time, and I know in our culture we like stories. But this story um, is actually goes way back, it's about 20 years ago, uh, early on in my walk with the Lord, in the first church that I was attending, um, I ended up actually becoming the youth leader. Tim. Yes. I was I was leading the middle school and high school group. And um you know, I'd only been saved a couple of years and you know, wasn't really qualified for that job, but if you understood the church that I was a part of, uh, we were a bit of a ragtag group. It was uh it was on the avenue in Ventura. It was just like a block up from yeah, the Wheaton's know what I'm talking about. It was a block up from like the Hell's Angels headquarters. Um uh, you know, most of the congregation was ex-addicts and gang members. And yeah, we were, we were quite colorful and eclectic. It was an amazing group. But you know, that sounds like 12 guys in a book I read. Because God liked to show up in that place. And he liked to use those people. So even though I was new in the Lord, wasn't really qualified, I was hungry, I was zealous. And I found myself in charge of the youth group. And I had his heart for missions, but the Lord had told me I needed to serve my local church, my family, and my friends before he would release me to go to the nations. So I'm here at this local church, but started to do like short-term mission trips. and, And so I'd gone to Mexico a couple of times, and I decided to take the youth group to Mexico on a mission trip. Yeah, those of you that are cheering have no idea, <laughs> or maybe you do, and you're just glad somebody else did it too. But um, so yeah, we we'd gone down a couple times into Mexico and ministered at the on a Kumeyaay Indian reservation in Mexico where there's no electricity, no running water, uh, really. Um, just hard conditions, but we'd been there a few times and connected with a, a local Mexican uh, missionary family that was living on the reservation, uh, reaching the indigenous people. So we went down with the youth group and a, and a few leaders, and, you know, when we go down there, we're working hard all day long, it's hot, it's arid country, and, and we basically just pitch tents and, and live out there as we're working. So this is uh, the last night of our trip. We'd been there for a few days, and all of a sudden, I'm awakened in my tent by, you know, somebody, like, shaking the tent. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Apparently, there was a few people that had, had, like, these crazy kind of demonic dreams, nightmares at the same time, and they were very similar. And when they woke up from the dreams frightened, they heard stuff going on outside of the tents, like somebody brushing in the ground. So there's probably about 20 of us in total, and everybody's frantic. They're like, "John, you got to get, get up, you got to, this is what's going on, blah, blah, And it's like, I woke up to, like, chaos. If you can imagine, like, no electricity, there's no light, you're out in the desert, you know, in a tent on a reservation, and you wake up to your tent shaking and people screaming. But immediately when I when I woke up, as soon as I became, like, conscious and aware of what was going on, I tangibly felt... The peace of God just come over me like so much. So I'm like, what just happened? I got up out of my tent and it was like I knew exactly what to do. I was young in the Lord, inexperienced in missions, inexperienced in leading. I didn't know anything. In myself, I didn't know anything. But in that moment, I knew exactly what to do. And it was just like this peace and this calm and this authority on me. I was like, all right, gather everybody in the, there was one big tent, gather everybody in this tent. And I just started to speak to our group. And I started to like bring this peace. And I started to quote scriptures I did not know. I'd probably heard some of them, but I could not quote these scriptures. And like, there was these verses coming out of me and it just like brought this peace. It completely shifted what was going on in that moment. And then while, while this is going on, some, we start to hear this noise outside of the tent again. And there is this guy who's drunk outside of our tent. This is the middle of the night, but alcoholism and different things are rampant in that area. And so, I go outside of the tent to see what's going on. And sure enough, there's this drunk dude, like, stumbling around our tent and and talking in Spanish. And another guy joins me, and he's translating. And apparently, this guy is drunk, and he can't find his way home. So I was like, all right. We grabbed a flashlight. It's like, we'll get you home. And so we're walking him home through the, you know, desert at night. No lights or anything except for our little flashlight. And we we come. Some of the homes had generators, you know, and there would be, like, one little bare light bulb hanging, you know, and we were coming close to this house, and he, from the distance, he was like, oh, that's my house over there with this one little light bulb that was lit up, and it was like, literally, when I stepped across some kind of threshold, when I came into the proximity of this home, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. The hair on my arms, and I looked at the guy that was walking with me. We didn't say a word to each other, but we both just looked at each other like eyes, like this big, like and it was unspoken. But it's like, did you feel that? But again, there was still just this peace. So we we take the guy up, and he was trying to get us to actually like take him to his door. And there was like cow skulls and different things hanging on in the house. It was it wasn't the most inviting place. So we're like this, this we got you far enough. We go back anyways fast forward to the next day where the the missionary family that was staying there were telling them what was going on. And they're like, "Oh yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, in the morning when it was light, we could see around our tents there was all these like lines and things like like somebody was actually like drawing with a stick or with their finger in the dirt or something. And, uh, and so we're telling the story to this family of what happened, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the Bruja, the witch doctor. That was her husband, and she was telling, like, yeah, that happens when we're having services or different things. Sometimes we'll see her out there in the dirt and drawing and doing these things, doing her, her stuff, whatever, and so we're talking about it, and she said, yeah, that guy that you took home is her husband, and you literally, that was her house. We're like, oh, that makes sense now. So why she's telling us this story, though, all of a sudden, her face just goes pale green. Like, in an instant, she looks and bolts for the outhouse, screaming for her husband, tail, tail, tail. And he, he runs over there, and you could just hear her in the outhouse, like, violently, like, heaving and like welling we're like what is going on remember i'm like a couple years in the lord i did get saved in a, in a david hogan meeting so if you know david hogan i was like i got saved into like a radical experience but still firsthand experience like i've heard that's different hearing David hogan tell stories about being in mexico And being there as a young 20-something-year-old, you know, leading a youth group, you're a couple years into the Lord, dealing with it yourself. And David Hogan's not there. (laughs) And I'm like, what is going on? And finally, she comes out uh, out of the outhouse with her husband, and she's still just like pale green, and just like, oh holding her belly and then she would like just drive but nothing would come out and and my the the leaders that i w- were with just immediately broke into like fear tongues some of you know what i'm talking about and again it was just this peace and i knew what to do and it was like the holy spirit was like don't lay hands on her i'm like Okay, like they're, you know, anointing her, doing all this stuff, their hands on her, and people are kind of like looking at me thinking I'm afraid, like, why aren't you getting in here, I'm supposed to be leading this trip, but it was just the Lord, and I'm just sitting there like, okay, now what, and I'm watching all this going on, just this chaos, And literally, I could feel something just rise up in me. I didn't know. I wasn't planning on saying it. But it literally just erupted out of my mouth. And all I said was, in the name of Jesus. And what I did, she just threw up. And all this stuff came out. The whole time, she'd been dry heaving only. Everybody kind of looked at me like. (laughs) I wanted to look at myself like. And then she goes back. She's still crying and, you know, heaving and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And again, oh, it happened three times. Every time, it, it, I wasn't consciously doing it. it. was something that just came up out of me in the name of Jesus. And every time I did, she would get relief and, and would expel, like, a natural amount of, you know. <laughs> on the third time, when as soon as it came out, it was like, <gasps> She got a deep breath. You saw peace come on her and all of a sudden the color just started to come back to her face. Listen, I didn't have any experience with deliverance at that point. I'd heard stories of supernatural. I prayed for some people. I'd seen something. I had never experienced anything like that at that point. That wasn't because I was polished, prepared, equipped. That wasn't because I knew what I was doing. That wasn't because I had positioned myself and done all of these things and taken the classes and the courses, which are all good things. But I hadn't done any of that. I didn't know the scriptures that were coming out of my mouth. I did not know what to do in that moment. It was not me. It was the name of Jesus. There was the power of his presence. I want to tell you the name of Jesus is powerful. Come on, I'm going to tell you. In Ephesians 121, it says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Philippians 2.9 Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We know there's power in the name. But do you know that that power can be used and abused? That power can be misapplied. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, you guys know at sake of time, I'm going to abbreviate some of these things, but where, you know, it says that in that day, many will come to him and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. So somehow they, th- that group of people knew that there was power in his name. They knew how to access his name. They knew how to use the name. But they weren't known by him. I have to tell you, that experience that I had in Mexico was a sobering experience. It was like being handed a loaded weapon that I realized... I had no idea how to operate this thing. I was not equipped for it. It was way more powerful than I was. It was more powerful than I was prepared for. I got lucky and happened to hit the target. It was like it went off in my hands. This is almost like what it felt like. Like it went off in my hands and hit the target. I'm like, well, thank God. But in that moment, through that experience, I realized my life was not right. I was young. I was hungry for the Lord. I was going after the Lord, but I was new in the Lord. And like my brother said earlier, we were saved out of some stuff. There are still things in my life that I was getting right. I was on fire. I was leading the youth group, but there was still a whole lot of very clear areas in my life that needed to be worked on. I needed discipleship. I needed training. I needed equipping. I didn't want to be one that could be used by God and access his power, but not be known by him. I knew I needed to pursue the Lord in a new way. If he could take hold of me like that, I needed to lay hold of him. Some of you guys know my story, but I went into, did end up getting launched into missions, went into a a discipleship training school on the island of Cyprus, lived there for a number of years. And my wife and I actually, that's where I met my wife, um, and we ended up leading that school. So discipleship is just something that's in me. Something that I've like really dug into of like, what what is God's heart for this? And this all connects when we see the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 24. Again, paraphrasing, but Jesus says to his disciples, all, of, all power and authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to keep all that I've commanded you. There's so much there. To make disciples, I don't believe, is just simply like to go dunk some people in water and teach some classes. When he's saying, baptize them in my name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's so much more there. I actually want to dig into some stuff. We're actually going to go to um, Exodus 20. Because I want to dig into the name. Sorry, thin pages. (laughs) I keep going past it in every direction. There we go, got it. Exodus 20. We know this section of scripture, it's the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, in verse 7, we're actually given a commandment referring to the name of God. And I want to unpack this for a while. So we see verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, how many of us have read that and we pretty much simply equate it to don't say Jesus Christ if you hit your thumb with a hammer? Even saying that, some of you guys are like, oh, is that okay? <laughs> right? So many of the times it's like to, just to use his name and, and flippantly like that or to, to use it as a, as a curse word or, you know, if you hurt yourself and, and you don't use his name in that way, right? I mean, raise your hands, honest. Like, a lot of us read it like that or understand that. It is so much more. It is that, but more. And I want to dig into this. So, I mean, vain is pretty self-explanatory. It covers kind of what I was just saying. But basically that meaning is, you know, emptiness, emptiness of speech, lying, falsehood, nothingness, or worthlessness, and even speaking of conduct. So... Not to take the Lord's name in vain, falsely, empty, you know, you, with, without a conduct that's worthy of it, right? It's pretty self-explanatory, but I want to actually dig into name a little bit. What does that mean when he's talking about taking his name? We're going to get into taking his name in a minute, but what does it mean when we're talking about the name of God? In, in, in Jewish culture, they have such reverence for the name of God. that, By the way, the name of God at this point in scripture is, is revealed to Moses in Exodus 3 when he's meeting God face to face. And he said, who shall I say has sent me? And he says, I am. I am that I am. The Lord Your God, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he reveals his name, he speaks his name for the first time to man, to creation, to humanity, as Yahweh. The Jewish culture, Orthodox Jews, religious Jews, they will not even use Yahweh. They will not utter the name. They don't allow it to come from their lips at all. Not just like flippantly, they just don't utter it because there's such reverence for his name. We were singing a song earlier. it was talking about relighting the fire of the altar and re- bringing back and returning the reverence for his name. Sorry, Jeff, I'm killing you. It was beautiful. When you say that line, it just like woo, it hit me. But the reverence for his name. Now, I believe they took it to the extreme. It was an external thing. They're viewing it as like, yeah, don't use it flippantly. Like if you hurt yourself, don't use his name. But still there's something that they understand where it's, it's contained so much power and reverence that they don't even utter it. They actually will, will replace it with Adonai, Lord, or Hashem, which literally means the name. That's all they say is the name. Shem is the Hebrew word for name. Looking for my notes on there somewhere. Anyways, it's in here. Essentially name, that word Shem, it's not just what you call somebody. It's not just how you refer to them. It literally means their character, their nature. Their attributes, their power, their authority, their rank, their position, their exploits, their accomplishments. People would often be named by either prophetic destiny of what they were expected to do accomplish or the person they were to be or what they were expected to walk in. Or if they had uh, accomplished something, some manner of exploit you'll see in scriptures, when something was done, then their name was changed. And from that point on, they were now known as, in Greek, it's odoma, and it's the same. It would refer to somebody's rank, their title, their authority, their power. There's power in the name. See, we often just hear names, and it's for us, it's just like a title. It's just so I know the difference. It's so when I call my kids, they know which one of them I'm talking to. But how disconnected have we gotten from understanding every time I utter their name, I'm actually declaring prophetic destiny, purpose, power, authority, character, nature, virtue, attributes into who they are and speaking it into their being. Do I use their name like that every time? No. One of them's here, so I've got to be honest. Every time, you know, my kids do something, I'll pick on you, Jacob, since you're here. You know, it does something. Jacob, Jacob Benjamin, his middle name. I'm not saying the middle name for added extra, you know, like I'm trying to to extra prophetic destiny and encouragement, and releasing more. I, you know, I'm frustrated. I'm not using it correctly because I'm, I even digging into this, even studying this, even understanding this, I realize I don't fully get it. But what happens when we fully get it and we understand and when we're using names that we are actually realize we are releasing, speaking, agreeing with the spirit and power of God to release prophetic destiny, to release power or to even acknowledge, to recognize, to come into agreement with what's been spoken over that person. What's embodied in that name? So, we've covered name in vain, not taking his name in vain. But I want to also propose to you that when it says not to take his name in vain, take isn't just simply say. It's not saying just don't say his name in vain. But the word take here, I'm going to give the Greek and the Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's nasa, is the root form of it. And it's a primitive root, it literally means to take, to lift up, to accept, to advance, to arise. It's able to. It's armor. It's to bear, to bear up, to bring or bring forth, to burn, to carry, or to carry away, to cast, to contain, to desire, to exalt, to extol, to fetch, to forgive, to furnish, to help, to hold up, to layer, to lay up to lift up, to magnify, to pardon, to raise up, to receive, to regard, to respect, to set up or set apart, to marry. As in marriage. All that is contained in that one word, take. In Greek, it's lambano. In the Septuagint, in the earliest uh, Greek manuscript where the original Hebrew Bible translated from Hebrew into Greek, they, they use that word there, translated as lambano in Exodus 27, not take the Lord's name in vain. So what is it saying? It's not simply, let's not just say God's name in an unworthy manner. But it's saying we shouldn't exalt it or lift it up. We shouldn't use it. We shouldn't bear it. We shouldn't carry it in a way that's not fitting. That doesn't come into alignment with the character, the nature, the attribute, the power or authority of his name. What about. Just using it religiously. Do we ever pray? I do it, guys. Blessing the meal. Getting in the car before I drive. Where it's become routine and I'll pray and I'll say in the name of Jesus. Am I expecting power to be released and show up every time I say that? Honestly, no. No. I mean is it still powerful to 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 pray that to do that even when it's out of routine? Yes. Can God honor and move on it? Yes. But am I fully grasping everything that's available or sometimes do I just say it out into like air with no expectation, with no alignment of my heart with all that it contains? Yeah. As believers, when we pray in the name of Jesus, I believe that if we pray in his name, not attached to the character, nature, attribute, power, authority of God himself, we're actually using it in vain. I'm just saying, I got a lot of room to grow. It's crazy to even know that the name of God has actually largely been removed from Scripture. What? Just like the Jewish tradition of replacing Adonai, Hashem, Elohim. These are different names they use for God. We often read in our scriptures where it will say the Lord. And it would literally be Yahweh. It was powerful. Eddie was preaching last night and he was reading out of the Passion Translation and that is one thing that's powerful about the Passion Translation where a lot of other translations will say the Lord but it says Yahweh. Now as New Covenant believers, we know the name of the Lord of Lords. Jesus. Yeshua as his mom would have called him. I don't care what language you say it in. It's got power. We know his name. But I believe that there is more fullness, more power for us to connect to in using, understanding, walking in, and receiving his name. Check this out. That word, lambano, to receive, to take, is the word that's used in Acts 1.8. When Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Receive is lambanum. The same or an alternate from Greek to Hebrew would be nasa, to take it could be translated by you will receive, you will take, or even you will be taken by power. A couple of you got it. <laughs> Think back on my story in Mexico. What happened to me? The Holy Spirit came upon me. I didn't know what was going on at the time. I didn't plan it. It wasn't like it was, you know, this well-executed play where all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I know what to do. Let me plug in. I'm going to pray in tongues for 30 seconds. I'm going to get warmed up. I'm going to put my favorite worship song on. I'm going to get it stirred up in here. I'm ready now. Okay, let's go. No. Chaos. <laughs> oh, gee, wake up. There's demons outside. There's witches. and people driving in the ground. People are having nightmares. There's snakes and serpents. who are all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Get in the tent. I didn't even think about it till right now when I said it. Get in the tent. Mm, come on. <laughs> the Holy Spirit came upon me. It wasn't me reaching out and taking power. I believe we can do that. But in the moment when I didn't even know what to do and I could have easily got sucked into their fear, their chaos, their insecurity, into the situation and circumstances that were surrounding me. And I might not even had chance to wake up from my, you know, being fully asleep and, and, and had the thought to like, oh, I need to reach out and grab hold of the power before I could even do that. The power reached out and grabbed a hold of me. Said, prepared or not, you're leading this trip. That means you are representing my name. I'm gonna lay a hold of you, and we're gonna get this done. Whew. I'm having fun. I don't know. You can't see under here, but I got goosebumps, ghost bumps. In Luke 24:49. Well, it's the same, uh, same story. He's telling the same thing before Jesus ascended. And he was telling the disciples of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. It words it like this. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Hold up. You're telling me I could put on Jesus? yes to bear the name Nasa Hashem Nasa Yahweh Nasa Yeshua You can put on, you can bear, you can take up, you can carry, you can lift up, you can be clothed with, you can receive upon your physical body the nature, character, attributes, power, authority of God himself. Don't believe me? Well, just in case you don't, I'm going to tell you, anyways. (laughs) Ephesians 6, think about it. The full armor of God. When we put on the armor of God, what are we doing? Whoa. (laughs) Sake of time, I'm just going to run through this here. The belt of truth, who is truth? Not a theory, not an idea, it's a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the breastplate of righteousness. Jehovah Tzikkenu, our righteous one. I'm butchering that Hebrew. Good. My wife isn't here. I'll hear it when I get home. As shoes for your feet, the gospel of peace. Who is the Prince of Peace? Better than any Nikes, better than any of the latest kick, the sneaker drop. I got the gospel of peace wrapped around my feet. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Do you know that in Hebrew, Yeshua literally means salvation? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, who is the word? We are arming ourselves, we're placing, we're putting on the character, the attribute, the virtues, the nature, the power and authority of Jesus Himself every time we put on the armor of God. Now we can just say it vainly, or we can do it connected. To the power of God. Imagine like a football player getting ready for the Super Bowl, and he's putting on his gear, and he's thinking what he's about to do. Sorry. I used to play football a little bit. Anybody who played football will understand this. If you don't, like, you're putting on those shoulder pads, and you're thinking what those shoulder pads are meant to do. I was a defensive back. These weren't for my protection. (laughs) This helmet and face mask right here, this was 20-plus years ago, 25 years ago. We didn't have the same rules. Spearing, I don't know, that kind of stuff. You know, helmet to helmet, like this right here wasn't for my protection. We, we had a thing of defensive back. Joaquin will know what I'm talking about. Ear hole. There was a thing. Somebody would break on the sideline, and you'd make them pay for trying to break downfield. You would take your face mask, that little crossbar right there, and you'd aim right for the side of the helmet. Now, I understand. This sounds very violent. This was before I was saved, but I'm going somewhere with this. I have been redeemed, but I want you to understand when you're putting on the armor of God, this is not a defensive posture. You're not cowering in a corner somewhere thinking, if I can put on this armor of God, I'll survive and just be able to make it through the day and keep the demons and the devils away. If I put on the armor of God, I'm going to be able to survive and not give into sin and temptation. If I put on the armor of God, I'll be able to just to squeak by and maybe the devil won't see me because I'm covered and I'll make it to heaven one day. No, when you put on the armor of God, you're declaring war. You are waging war on the powers and principalities. We don't wage warfare with helmets, uh, you know, ear holes and shoulder pads anymore. Not with carnal weapons but with spiritual weapons and we are armed. These are weapons. This isn't an airbag. It's not bumper cars. You are armed and dangerous. There's power in the name and you can have the option to get dressed and clothed and put on the armor of the name every single day. Ooh, I need a hanky. Listen, that's all good and great. I love that stuff. It gets me pumped. It gets me excited. But I believe the ultimate is taking the name. You realize this is covenantal language. This is the language of marriage. It actually can be translated like that when you say, so-and-so took so-and-so as their wife. When we take the name of the Lord, we're entering into covenant, into marriage. When my wife and I got married, her last name changed. She took on my name. When we give ourselves to the Lord, we're marrying ourselves to the Lord and we take on his name. Think about all the scriptures talking about being in the Lord, being one with the Lord. John 15, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Talks about that he is one with the Father. He and the Father are one and we're in him, so we are one with him. Oh. I'm going to jump back real quick just because this one was so good. I, w- I went from like pumped up. We're waging warfare to let's get married. Now I'm going to jump back for a second just because this one's so good. Think about the story of David. When he goes out to face Goliath. And it says, and this First 1 Samuel 17 verse 45. and it says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. You're coming to me with carnal weapons. You're coming to me with the sword, with the javelin, with the spear. You're coming to me with these things. I'm coming to you in the name and the power and the authority of Yahweh. That's like somebody has a slingshot and you roll up with the tank. Just saying. Okay, back to romance. (laughs) There's a oneness that we're called to have with the Lord and even with each other. When we take his name, it's a family name and we're all part of the family. You may not have read this fine print. Just in case you missed this detail, look around this room. When you said yes to him, we were all included. Surprise! You didn't know when you got married to him you were inheriting a crazy uncle, did you? It's all part of the family. We have covenanted with God, and for all part of God's family, covenant always includes family. Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus himself says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. It's not saying if we get together and we're all saying the name of Jesus. It's not saying because we call ourselves Christians. But it says, if we gather together in his name with the understanding, with, the, with we are reaching out to receive, to take hold of, and making ourselves available to be taken hold of by the power, authority, character, nature, attributes of God, God himself will manifest in our midst. It's almost 12... 11.59. I'm going to close with this. It's 12. If you need to grab your kids, go ahead. I'm just going to close with this real quick. And this is not the preacher close. You can stand up. I actually, in preparing this, I went through, and as I'm telling you, these this was not a commandment of, as we understand it, Don't do this, don't do this, this list of rules when he's saying in Exodus 20 verse 7, don't take his name in vain. I said it already, this is covenantal language. I want to flip the script for us a little bit here if you'll allow me today. I want to propose to you that the Ten Commandments weren't a list of rules but they're actually wedding vows. I rewrote the Ten Commandments, don't throw stones yet. As if they were wedding vows. If we're going to take the name of the Lord, I'm just going to read them to you, try to paraphrase a little bit. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what he's saying, but this is the vow. I'm just going to kind of do that. I'll hit the commandment a little bit, but I'll respond with the vow. This is our heart to him, his heart to us. You will be my one and only. There will be no other. You shall not make for yourself to carve image or any likeness. Talking about idols and idolatry, we know that for sake of time. Response. I will not look upon, worship, or lust after any image. But will have eyes and devotion for you alone. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I will take, receive, uphold, lay hold of your name and become one with you and always do my best to live in a way that reflects, honors, and represents you well. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I will celebrate our anniversary every week. Setting a day apart that is just for you and I reflecting on the life that we dream of in our building together. Honor your father and mother. I will honor our parents and the generations that have gone before us, embracing and building upon the heritage and lineage of our families. You shall not murder. I will not bring death into our relationship but we will be focused on and committed to speaking and bringing forth life and bearing fruit in every way. You shall not commit adultery. Our union will be set apart, and I will remain faithful in protecting the covenant that we have made and never join myself to another in mind, body, or spirit. You shall not steal. I will never take what is not freely offered. Remember, this goes both ways. I believe these are his vows to us as well. He's not going to take what's not freely offered. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I will never lie to you or anyone else or allow any manipulation or deception to enter our covenant so that our relationship would be built on truth and transparency. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife, male servant. We know the whole thing. I will not be jealous of anyone else's house, spouse, or life that they are building together, but will remain wholly devoted to, focused on, and satisfied with what we are building together. Anyone feel like renewing their vows this morning? I don't have all this worked out. But when he laid a hold of me, like Paul in Philippians, I've made it my life focus to lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of me. I don't want to use or abuse his power. I don't want to use his name, his His authority flippantly. But I want to be joined in union with him completely and fully. Before we do this, we're going to pray together, but I just don't want to miss an opportunity. Is there anyone here that has not given their life to the Lord. You might be here this morning, you've known about Jesus, but you've never like really given your whole life to Jesus and offered him your heart and your everything. And you, you, you don't know him. You might know about him, but you don't know him. And you might feel something tugging on you this morning of that's what I need. What he's talking about right there. That's what's been missing. And I need that in my life. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I just want more. But I've never done that. Is there anybody here that that speaks to, that that resonates with? That you haven't done that yet? That you haven't made that commitment or taken those vows yet? Okay, it doesn't look like it. If I miss anyone, there'll be prayer servants up front. You can come up later and just let them know that you want to do that for the first time. But everybody else, just put out your hands. And we're going to pray. God, we recommit ourselves to you today. We want to renew our vows. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds, our physical bodies, to receive you, Yeshua, in the fullness of your name that we would take your name upon us as your bride teach us and show us how to bear your name your power, your authority your character, your attributes, your virtue let us freely willingly passionately lay hold of anything that does not line up with that we Again, Jesus, fully surrender to you. We give ourselves to you in covenant and we renew our covenant to you. Thank you, Lord. You can just stay in this place. If there's more you want to say, if there's vows you want to exchange, if there's things you need to, to you know get right with the Lord, or whatever, if he's highlighting anything, you can just stay in that place of prayer. Uh, we can have the prayer servants come up and if you need ministry for anything if you want somebody to agree with you in prayer you need healing whatever it might be you need somebody to stand with you you can come up and the prayer servants will minister to you if you're gonna go I just ask that you exit quietly for those that are just staying in this place but I bless you as you go I bless you to go